0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. And we are kicking off a new series today as we get into our summer series. And um, this series we've just called The Classics. And so... And... uh, the reason is, is we're, and it's the Classics Volume 1, because we will do more of the Classics series as the years unfold. But we're doing our very first one uh, this summer. And what we're doing is this series is looking at some of the stories from the Old Testament. We, as New Testament believers, we spend a lot of time in the teachings of Jesus and the writings and teachings of Paul and, and the New Testament and um, that is what, honestly what the early church did is they went into the Gentiles, but there's a foundation in the Old Testament of God being at work and was, was at work in his people um, that was bringing about Jesus ultimately coming onto this planet and, and fulfilling his, his, his call and his assignment to be our Savior and to bring redemption and life to us. But there were these moments throughout history that we see in the Old Testament. And so what we're going to be doing is revisiting some of these stories. Because the truth is, is as our culture marches further and further on, um, there was a day where you could drop some of these stories and just about everybody knew them. Because everybody was somehow connected with church. But in our culture today, not everybody knows them. So it's a, it's a joy to be able to revisit some of these. So this morning as you've got your Uversion app, you've got your bulletin, um, today we're going to kick off with the life of Moses, because if there's one person, one character, one individual that represents the old covenant, the Old Testament, it's Moses. In fact, they would Jesus would drop. Just the name Moses and be in reference to the Old Testament. He said, You remember what Moses said. You have Moses for this. Moses is as a person, as a life, is representative of the Old Testament. Part of it is, is Moses is the writer of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses is the one who helped lead the people out of Egypt and 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 get them towards the promised land. Moses is this incredibly pivotal character. And so today, we're just going to take a real quick look at the life of Moses because the life of Moses shows us what it means to know God better and to trust him more. We're going to be kind of linked to this place in Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a wonderful hall of faith and um, it's about 40 verses of just all of these different people who lived by faith in the Old Testament to show us what it looks like to live by faith in Christ and, and celebrating and walking in what Jesus has already done for us. And um, anyways, but Hebrews 12 is looking back and, and, t- and thinking about this list of people who had, who had lived by faith. And this is what the writer of Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. He says, Since we have these, these people who've gone before us this great cloud of witnesses that says man this can be done you can you can live for god you can see god's deliverance come forth in your life you can live by faith, then let's just throw off the stuff that kind of that kind of holds us back. Let's just kind of let go of this stuff that that entangles us. And every time I, I hear that phrase, I think of one of my grandfather's stories, one of my papa's stories, and I share papa stories with you all on a regular basis. But well, my my papa was a routesman. And he had milk routes and bread routes, and so back in the day when the milkman would carry milk to your house and drop it off there at your house, even to the point that they would have a key to the house and stick it in your refrigerator, and so go and put it in there. I mean, they, they, they think they've got this grocery delivery thing down now. Uh, no, we're just getting back to what it used to be. And so they had it down back in the day. And so we're just now recovering some services we had lost a few decades ago. And so, but my papa was one of those, and he he would, he was, so he was traveling through neighborhoods all the time, having to deliver milk. So he's driving through this neighborhood one day, and he sees this dog that had jumped the fence of one of these houses. The problem was, is this dog was had been double contained. This obviously was a fence jumping dog, so the owner of this, fit of this dog had put a chain on this dog. The problem was is the chain was just long enough for the dog to get over the fence. And so this dog was over the fence, and it was a big enough dog. With his little hind feet were on the other side of the fence on the ground, and he was standing on his tiptoes, and he was just about choking and so and he's, he's sitting there hanging there, and my grandfather was an incredibly tender-hearted man, and he just c- could not take that. So here's this big old animal, and he finally gets over there, and the animal's upset and flopping and clawing and all sorts of stuff, trying to live. And he picks the animal up and flops it back into the backyard again so that it wouldn't choke to death, so it wouldn't die. But here was this animal who was sitting there and he wanted freedom. He wanted to be able to move forward. He wanted and he had the ability to get over the fence. The problem was is there was something that was entangled him and ensnared him that needed to be dealt with first. It needed to be dealt with first. The chain needed to be dealt with first. And so in that, otherwise he wasn't going to be able to move forward. God, but Praise God, you and I, Jesus is the one who's broken the chains. He's the one who, and we don't have this stuff hanging on to us. We don't have to be in bondage. We can move forward. But if we get wrapped back up in this stuff that Jesus has already set us free from, it's the equivalent of never being set free to begin with. If we just stay wrapped up in it. So the the writer of Hebrews says, "Let's, let's just leave this stuff aside so that we can run the race, we can move forward. So as we're looking at this series, let's make sure that we see some of the traps and the hang-ups and some of the stuff that maybe can come into our lives that we need to let go of so that we can move forward the way we're supposed to. And as we look at the life of Moses, we see in Moses that following God will require you to abandon safe and live by faith. It's going to require you to abandon safe and live by faith. So many times trying to to build a safe little cushy life is the most risky thing we could do. Because as we try to get more and more control, we're pushing God out, out, out. And the more we're in control of our lives and the less God is, we actually are way at at higher risk. I want to just, for those in the room who aren't fully familiar with the life of Moses, where we're going to pick up here in just a little bit, In Exodus, we need to understand the life of Moses. Now, first off, a lot of you may have seen the 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 movie that was put out a number of years ago, The Prince of Egypt, to kind of let us see the life of Moses. And and Moses was was a Hebrew, and Moses was born 400 some odd years after the Hebrew people went into Egypt to begin with. And going into Egypt initially was a blessing. Initially was a blessing. As Joseph had been sold into there and a horrible famine came onto the land. And and Joseph rises up to power because he's an incredible servant and just took care of business. And as he's moving forward and moves up, then then he ends up the the prime minister. And he ends up bringing all of his family. He brings all his brothers and brothers who were jerks to him. He, He saves their whole family and they come in and they have this incredible favor in the land because of Joseph. And so they lived there. They, le- they left where they had lived and they're living now in Egypt. And it was a- they had the best of everything. The problem is, is years go by and-, and somebody forgets and all the leaders forget about Joseph and forget all those things. And the Hebrew people are prospering. And then there's tens of thousands of them and then there's hundreds of thousands of them. And, and 400 years later there's millions of them. And they're a threat because they're different and, and they have one God. And it's not the gods of, the Egy- of Egypt. And the Pharaoh begins to despise the people and begins to persecute and begins to, to, to murder the children. Begins to murder the children. And sends these people that, to, that when a baby Hebrew is born, that that baby boy is supposed to be ripped from his mother's hands and taken out and killed immediately. And that was the law of the land in that day. And so as this is taking place, Moses begins to come on the scene in this time. As a Hebrew, it's not a cushy place. It was a murderous thing. And so here he is. He's born under this decree. And his mama sees him, and as every mama does, she's like, this is the most wonderful, beautiful boy in the whole world. It's what every mama says when she looks at her baby boy. And she's like, you know, this boy is amazing. So she does not want him to be killed. So she does this amazing thing, and she builds this little basket, and she covers it with tar, makes it where it's waterproof. And in the movie, you watch The Prince of Egypt. Well, it looks like she sets him in this little thing and sets him down the Nile. And it's just like, oh. Take care of my boy. And then here he is, Moses, a little baby bobbing in the water, and he's hitting the barges, and the crocodiles are swimming near him, and here comes a hippo and bumps him along the way, and all this stuff. That's a load of crud. <laughs> Disney made that mess up. That is not the way. It you read the story, and the mom was strategic. She makes this waterproof container, and she sets it among the the bulrushes. She sets it among the reeds, and she's got these nice, powerful reeds. So it's in the water, but it's not getting carried off by the current. And she sets this basket near where the pharaoh's daughter comes out with her maidens to be able to bathe. So here's this basket. Here it is in a secure place. And then uh, Moses' older sister, Miriam, hides up and watches to make sure that basket is okay. She doesn't just set him loose in the Nile and just like, oh, well, here he we goes. You know I don't want him to die over here. Maybe he won't drown in the Nile. No, that's, that's not what she's doing. She's being very intentional and very purposeful. Well, sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe. She sees the basket over there, sends someone over there to get it, opens it up, and it's a baby boy. And she's not like, oh, wow, here's this little Egyptian boy. No, she knows. It's a Hebrew. This boy's supposed to be dead. This boy isn't supposed to be alive. But the Pharaoh's daughter's like, this is a handsome little guy, handsome little Hebrew baby. And Miriam pops up and says, hey, I know somebody who, I know a Hebrew who can be the wet nurse and to take care of this baby for you if you, want, if you want somebody. Which, of course, is his mama. And they're like, sure, go get her. So then Moses' mom gets to care for him in his young childhood. He's raised in the Pharaoh's house, but his mama gets to hold him and feed him and speak into his life. Every of those toddler years, those pre-weaned years, and she gets to spend time with her baby boy Moses, and he's raised being reminded of who he is. He's being reminded of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's speaking into that as she is caring for him in Pharaoh's house. Well, then at some point he's weaned, she's out of the picture, and he grows up. And he grows up to be 40, to 40 years old in the Pharaoh's house. And he's got the best of everything. He has the best education. He has the best of everything. He's in the Pharaoh's house. He's got life good, but the Hebrews have it bad. They're slaves. It's murderous. It's terrible. They've got whips and getting beaten and driven hard, and Moses is kicking back. In the Pharaoh's house, Moses is, is having it good. This, this edict that made it be horrible and all these other moms lose their baby ended up being this weird blessing for Moses that he gets to have the best life ever. His mama never would have put him in the bulrushes had they not tried to kill him. And he's growing up in the Pharaoh's house. But that thing that mama had instilled in him, that there was a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God has a plan for the Hebrew people. And he began to have compassion at the age of 40. He grows for 40 years in the house of Pharaoh. And at some point, he begins to have compassion for his Hebrew people. And he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of the slaves mercilessly. And it ticks Moses off. Makes him mad. And he's like, "This is ridiculous. I can't take this anymore." And he looks around and he doesn't see anybody, and Moses feels this thing within him that somebody's got to do something about the Hebrew oppression. Somebody has to do something. And so Moses goes over there, he snaps, he grabs the, that, the Egyptian, and Moses beats him and kills him. Moses beats the man to death and kills the Egyptian. Freaks out, buries him in the sand, and thinks he got away with it. Thinks he got away with it. He's being his own. He's, he's, he's the first, like, he's the punisher. He's the, he's the first, like, little superhero. He's stalking in the night, taking out the bad guys, taking them out. That, ooh, nobody knows. And then he sees two Hebrews beating and fighting with one another. He's like, man, isn't life hard enough on us alone? Isn't life hard enough on you guys alone? Why are you beating one another when the Egyptians are the one and they're like, who made you king and ruler over us? you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptians? I thought nobody knew about that. And at that moment, he freaks out and he bolts. He just runs for his life. And he leaves Pharaoh's house and he leaves Egypt and he leaves and he's just, he's gone. Creates an entire new life for himself. Marries a, a, a wonderful lady from Midian. Has a father-in-law who respects him and he gets, in, gets along with. He begins to prosper out in the, the desert. And he lives another 40 years out in the desert. And we pick up with Moses right here. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses said that... Th- <clears throat> And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. Why? The bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. He said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then we move forward to verse 7. He says, says, and the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out for their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's like, Moses, you're not the only one who says enough is enough. I'm concerned. It's time. It's time for this to be dealt with. And he says, and so now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So I need you to go and to come out of it. Now, remember, he tried to to speak and to stand up for the the Hebrew people once. And it did not go the way he thought it was going to go. It did not turn out well. And here, God speaking through a burning bush, all of a sudden... And he's being called to go back where there could, be a, there could be an arrest warrant waiting for him. There could be all sorts of things. He's not an unknown person in the government. He is a very understood person. Moses, the, 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 the tales of him and the story of him. And so now he's at a place that he's got a new life. Safe and secure out in the desert. No, it's not the Pharaoh's house. No, it's not leading some nation. But it's a good life. He's got his flocks. He's got his herds. He's got his wife. He's got some children. It's a good life. Low key, no pressure. And God's asking him to go back and stirs within him that thing that he got stirred up within him 40 years ago, that he made the wrong decision. It was the right calling, but it was the wrong way to pursue it. He wasn't supposed to pursue it, by murdering and doing things sneaky and doing all those kinds of stuff. God had had that in him. He just needed to let God open the door. And what we'll see is is that if we come back to safety, if we try to stay in a place of safety, is that safety will keep you trapped in the past. It'll keep you trapped in the past. You'll think about all those things that of what they were or or maybe what they could have been and... And it's always, your right now, will be shaded by the past. Another one of my favorite Pawpaw stories is my Pawpaw was a a big golfer. He spent a ton of time on the golf course. He was out there whenever he was good and mobile. He was out on the golf course five days a week at least. He was out on the golf course all the time. He spent enough time on the golf course that he didn't get just one hole-in-one on a par three. The man got two hole-in-ones. On um, part three, the guys can golf their whole lives and, and never witness it happen, much less happen to them in their in their for themselves. But he did it twice, and um and so you spend that much time on the golf course and you have some some cool stuff like getting a hole in one. Um, that, that's pretty cool. You're going to see some ugly stuff out on the golf course too. And one time he was out on the old number one tee box in Andrews, Texas, and He'd tell the story and he I used to could tell you the name of the guy who was driving, but um, anyways the guy was about to drive a ball on old number one tee box and um, anyways he says, you know, would you believe the old boy he, he towed the ball and so he hits it off, hits it off the, the deal wrong, and that drive ends up going the wrong direction and hits my grandfather in the chest. And so he's just he's just yards away from where this zooming golf ball comes at and nails him in the chest. And so he would say, "Goes oh," and he said, "And that ball comes, and it comes along, and it hits me just like that." And he's like, "Oh," and I still got the bruise. And I'm like, Papa, um, and this would be like six months, nine months later. And like, uh, Papa, do you think maybe? that the bruise you have right now is not the bruise from that golf ball, but the bruise from you telling the story? (laughs) Because he would tell and he would hit him to bunch his fingers up and just bam, just punch himself. Because he wanted you to know how hard it hit. And he wanted you to see, man, it and you're like, you know what? Um, That bruise that you're carrying around right now is not from that wound. That wound hurt. That wound hurt, and it was painful, and it was a real experience. But the bruise you're carrying now is is a bruise from retelling it and reliving it. And so many of us, we will stay trapped in the past, and we will retell it and rehash, and you are carrying wounds and real bruises from not the original moment, but from every time you've told about the moment. Every time you rehash the moment. Every time you've relived the moment. And every time you do it, you make sure and you tell it with intensity because you want this person to understand how bad it hurt. But guess what? You do that and you are, you are re-wounding yourself over and over and over again. At some point, you have to let the wounds of the past go or you'll be trapped there and that pain will follow you. Yeah. And it doesn't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. God heals all wounds. Yeah. That he's the only one that does it. And you have to let him have access to it. You have to. Isaiah 43 in the message translation says, forget about what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert in and rivers. In the badlands, we have to let go of the stuff from the past to be able to move forward. And the beautiful things that God wants to do in our lives and, and trying to stay safe will keep us trapped in the past. And the next thing it'll do it'll keep us complacent with today. It'll keep us complacent. We will, we'll just think, you know what, this is okay. This is, this is okay. Exodus 2.11 says, one day after Moses had grown up, he, he went out to where his own people were. And he watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And you know what? He, ju- he could have in that moment said, you know what? There's, slavery exists. Beatings happen. You know what? The status quo is my life is pretty good. Yeah, other people are suffering, but my life is pretty good, and so I'm just not going to risk it. Now, praise God, in our society, we don't see slavery like that. We don't see abuse like that very often. But you know what? There are pain, there's pain around us all over the place. And it will cost us something to get involved. But the church cannot sit by. And enjoy our cushy seats and enjoy our way too effective air conditioning and enjoy our, our, all of these moments and be able and to just say, you know what, it's pretty good for us. And ignore the pain that we see around us. If we, aren't, if we look for safety and hold on to safety, we will be complacent for today. Yes, Moses had his calling in his time. But folks, it's our time. And we have our calling. And we have the things God is calling us to do. And if we hold on to safety, we will not live by faith and have the impact in our world and our community that God is calling us to do. And the next thing it will do, it will make us afraid. It will make us afraid of tomorrow. Exodus 4.13, Moses said, pardon your servant. Lord, please send someone else. That was his response. Lord, just send somebody else. Send someone else. For too long, for too long, the church has been, send somebody else. God, do something about this over there. And he's like... Um, You happen to notice. Why don't you do something? You happen to notice. Why don't you do something? God is calling us to be able to do it. And this is a really common response. Gideon had the same response we see in Judges chapter 6. As Gideon was being called to be a deliverer and, and, and help the people of Israel deal with their battles and their moment. It says, "Pardon me, my lord." Gideon replied, "But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. I just don't see how this can work out. I look for, I look to the future of what you're asking me to do, and all I see is scary, scary stuff. And, and God, I, I can't, I can't do this. So, folks, if we're going to abandon safe and live by faith, we have to understand that living by faith, we're, we have to recognize that." That God is already at work in you. God's already at work in you. See, Moses is a man who should have been dead. The fact that he was raised in the Pharaoh's house was a marker to the fact that something amazing was happening in his life. That God had set him aside for some reason and he had to, needed to recognize that God had already been at work. Hebrews 11:23 says, "By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. by faith. He had a legacy of faith. His parents had made a faith decision. He had been <clears throat> there was something at work here already. The next thing we need to understand is to live by faith. We've got to refuse to be defined by anything but God himself. By anything but God himself. And this was one of Moses' defining moments. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger he persevered because he saw that he, him because he saw him who is invisible And then the last one we see is that living by faith impacts others around you. Moses did say yes at that burning bush moment. He did move forward. He did respond. And he goes in and speaks to Pharaoh, and it doesn't go well. Pharaoh doesn't say, oh, God sent you. You saw the burning bush. Okay, everybody leave. Take all my slaves. It's not the way it went. It was a long, drawn-out place where God showed himself strong to the Israelites and showed himself strong to the Egyptians till finally they were excited to see them gone because there was plague after plague after plague after plague. And they finally leave. And as they leave, then right as they get gone, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, man, my whole workforce is gone. And he sends his... The, his armies to chase them down. Sends his armies to chase them down, and they get as they're following Moses, they get boxed in, and it seems like the most stupid place to be. And they're between the most powerful military force on the planet at that time and an ocean, and a sea, the Red Sea. And Moses, is, God asked him to do something in that moment that seems completely dumb: lift up your staff just lift it up just lift up your staff and when he does the Red Sea parts and the people walk over on dry land and then as the, the army chases them and the, the sea closes up around them and they're safe on the other side of a sea and and then they move forward with the rest of their journey but it's Moses's faith that everybody else that was with him they were freaking out. They were saying, just let, let's let's just go back. Let's just, let's just return. You took us out of there for them to just bury us. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Is what they began to tell Moses. It wasn't everybody else's faith. It was Moses' faith. But it blessed those around and made an impact in those who were around him. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. So that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn, firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea. is on dry land. But the Egyptians. And when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. Folks as we look at these classic stories. We see places over and over and over again. Where if we will. Trust God. We'll know Him better and trust Him more. Man, life changes. It just really, really does. Folks, our bottom line is this: that faith has us take steps that we would not take on our own. We just wouldn't take them on our own. Faith asks us to do things we wouldn't do ourselves, which is why it requires such faith. It requires knowing that God is with us and that he is active in our lives. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.